Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves podcast. Welcome, 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 Timberwolves fans and podcast listeners. You are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank Centwally, uh staff coach over at Richfield High School, and I am joined, as always, by the super producer, Mr. Goyd Leon Cook in the building. What's up, man? What's going on? Yeah, man. Hey, hey, you was on a beach. That's what I know. You was on a beach somewhere. I, you know, <laughs> I get away. you, you, you get thought away. you was slick. You was on a beach, man. I was jealous. <laughs> here in just for a second. I'm back. Fresh. Yeah, I don't know. You and the missus was looking real happy on a beach. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> and that song was, you know, I try to give all the song possible. In these times, because these days are short, man. Man, you ain't lying. You know, we I get real pale around January, February. I start looking gray. <laughs> I know what's around, around, around the corner, man. <laughs> I got been, look like I've been rolling this sand lot or something come February. <laughs> right, right. And uh, also joining us on the Coach and the Culture podcast, um, a return guest. He is the uh, owner-operator of Yes Trees, Tree Removal and Tree Trimming, and former collegiate basketball player Lance Gardner, also my son. He likes to hang out with Ed and talk hoops, so we figured we might as well make a thing of it. What's yeah. up, Lance? Not much. I'm glad to be back on here, uh, talk a little more about these wolves as they're uh, starting to take a little shape, and we see who's staying and who's um, who is going and what the team's supposed to be looking like this year. Yeah, man, it has kind of rounded out pretty much the way that we discussed, uh, man, even before the season ended, which is, you know, they're running it back, you know, and and uh, for, I think, quite some time in the early part of the offseason, there was a lot of speculation about, you know, if they were going to trade CAD or what moves they were going to make, and then the salary, you know, the new CBA thing happened. But we have attested on this podcast all along that the thing to do was to run it back. Uh, and, and you know, the reason this is called the Coach and the Culture podcast is because my take on the Timberwolves and just all things basketball is to look at it from a coach's perspective of somebody who's been coaching at the youth levels for over 20 years and um, understands that, you know, basketball is basketball and there are certain things that are universal to the success of a basketball team or program and continuity, I am a big, big proponent of continuity. And it looks like the Wolves are leaning into continuity before they make any further steps. I think that is the right thing. I think it's a great thing. And so, um, yeah, so so it looks like the, the squad is for the most part set uh, for the listeners who have somehow been under a rock or only listened to this podcast because there's a number of great Timberwolves podcasts out there and they've all covered um, the this next uh, statement. Um, but for those of you who have been hiding under a rock somewhere, the Timberwolves do still have 
uh, one roster spot available and a two-way spot available. Uh, they have about $2.5 million or so remaining to be under the luxury tax for this year. So they could um, possibly add another player to the roster, uh, a veteran minimum type player. Uh, uh, could, For example, it could be bringing back an Austin Reeves. It could even be it's not going to happen, but it could be bringing back like a Jalen Noel or something like that. I personally think that the Wolves are going to leave that roster spot open um, as kind of a maybe a worst case scenario situation uh, where if they find themselves like, OK, things just really aren't working out. We really need to make a trade. Um, you can get back more players at one more player than you trade away if you leave that roster spot open. Um, so I think they might just go ahead and leave that roster spot open. Um, it's definitely worth it to leave that roster spot open right now as you see how the rest of the free agency period and the rest of the summer shakes out and then going into training camp. It's not quite like the NFL where players get waived during training camp and you might pick up a player that is a salary cap um, casualty from another team. The NBA doesn't quite work that way because of guaranteed salaries. However, um, it's always possible that somebody could be bought out or a trade could happen and somebody could be bought out and it's nice to have a roster spot available. But for the most part, um, the squad is back. You know, for the most part, you're basically, if you say Naw is in the, no, Nikhil Alexander Walker is in the, you know, returning top eight, if, you know, when you consider the injuries and stuff, the way they ended the season against Denver, you basically can say that the top eight players from their rotation um, are all back. And um, so, you know, there you have it. We really, we are, and we talked about that last time. Is it? It was as a as a player and someone who has a coach as a father. It was evident that the answer was to run it back. Otherwise, you you just leaving so many question marks, um, so many unanswered possibilities with all that talent and you know all the talk about uh, trading cat and just. It was more so for me. I felt like it was just uh, kind of hysteria and and bringing attention to the wolves and what could be possible. Um, but as a player and just watching them, I, there's no way that um, that could have been done any differently. I I really felt like they were going to bring it back, a runner back, because it's they got way too much talent not to. Yeah, and and you played, you know, you played all over the floor when you played. But you spent a lot of your time playing in the post, you know, some four, some five, uh, a lot of four, some five, some three. But I think you know as well as any um, one that when you're a big, when you, you know, I I hate that term these days because it's so re- used in such a ridiculous way. But when you are a post type player, we'll say that when you are a post type player and you're working on the court with another post type player. Um, there's a lot of dynamics that have to be worked out, right? It's, you know, post players, uh, post to post passing, um, making sure that you have room for each other to operate in your favorite spaces. You know, that's a little different than in the case of like Cleveland, where they put Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell and Darius Garland together, right? Guards can kind of create for one another. They always have the ball. They can kind of my turn it. They can roll with the hot hand. 
Um, they very rarely get in each other's space, especially if they're two really good ball handlers and ball dominant guards. Uh, they can pick and choose their attack opportunities, and they're always going to have those opportunities because they always have the ball. When you're a post-style player, you're not only relying on other people to get you the ball, but you're relying on other people to get you the ball in space to create space for you and get it to you not only where you need it, but on time when you need it. And then when you have two of those players on the floor, that dynamic takes some time, you know, and and I think you know that, Lance, as well as anybody, because, you know, for the most part, um, watching you play you know, all the way through college, you were almost always on the floor with another, you know, post-style player. And I guess you could kind of say you played the cat role on most of your teams. You were kind of that four that could put the ball on the floor, shoot the three, you know, um, and, and and so maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, some things you found to be important before we get into some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, but why you think it's important for them to run it back and really give Cat and Rudy more time to develop that chemistry. Yeah, for me in that, that four or five situation, it was all about spacing, right? You could never really get too close to that other big because that defeated the whole purpose of um, the offense. You know, you kind of had to feel for where the big was and and um, make sure that he had enough space to work. Um, I think Cat being gone for a lot of the season too, um, when he came back, you know, I'm even, I'm sure he wasn't practicing for too long before he actually got back on the court. Um, cause you know, I think that, that he could have waited 10 more games had it not been the end of the year. Um, so even, you know, people say, well, he was gone for three months. They had time to figure it out. Cat was probably not on the floor much at all. So, um, spacing, spacing with four and five is, is huge. Um, you know, it's even with, like you were saying with two point guards, even that can be tough. Um, it's still not easy, even though they're both able to kind of do their own thing. So, you know, you look around and teams don't typically have two point guards, right? Cause it, having two of the same position that people have been playing their entire lives. Now you start messing with their mind because they have to do something a little out of their norm. You know, most point guards have been playing point guards since they were six years old. So now you have to figure out, okay, how do I play without the ball always in my hands? Um, so it's tough for any position. And fives, like you said, are, are four or five bigs are definitely the hardest to figure out on how to work together. Um, and I'm kind of excited to see now that they've had, you know, time off season and, and getting ready for next year, what that's going to look like because it hasn't been done in a long time. Um, and especially not with someone as versatile as Cat. Yeah, and and I'm glad you bring that up. You know, you're talking about the two point guards. That you know, we saw that even though Ant's not tr- a true point guard, and you could even say Delo's a combo guard, but you could see a little bit of that with you know with those two on the floor and why Mike Conley just kind of works better because um, mm-hmm. he knows how to run a very traditional point guard, but also he's very skilled off the ball and he has no problem. Um, going and spotting up and kind of waiting for things to happen. And so, you know, but when you have two players that are as big of your, you know, team and as big of your identity as Cat and Rudy, um, you know, you want to get them the ball. You want to get them the ball positions to be successful. And they have to figure that out amongst each other. And then everybody else has to figure out how that works around them. And that just takes time, you know, and we, and that's why we both have been like, uh, we got to run it back because again, you know, and I think Chris Finch has even said this over time, talent usually figures it out and you got two all pros. So you give them time and eventually they're going to figure it out. 
but what they didn't have last year was time. So let, let's move, you know, and it's, it's so funny. You said so many things that, uh, that bring up thoughts from listening to Chris Finch's interview with Dane Moore on the Dane Moore NBA podcast. And we'll get back to that a little bit later. But, um, that spacing thing was definitely something that Chris Finch talked about. Um, so we'll come back to that, uh, topic of conversation when we get there. Um, Let's talk about, you know, we talk about them running it back, but there are some 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 new additions. There are some differences. Um, they did bring back Jordan McLaughlin, which um, it makes sense to me uh, for where his contract was at. Um, the You know, bring the fact that you're going to need a third point guard, you know, somebody who can be more of a true point guard um, on the roster and somebody that already when he's on, plays the style that Chris Finch wants his point guards to play and already knows the plays, the terminology, the system, right? That made more sense than letting him go and then bringing back a, uh, you know, third point guard for similar money that doesn't have any familiarity, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they brought back Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which also made sense to me. Um, and I think it probably also makes sense to Nikhil Alexander-Walker. People forget he's a very young player. Um, he has, he's on his third team now. Um, and, and, you know, in four years in the league. And this is, I think, the first team that really, for lack of a better term, believed in him, you know, that really gave him a role. Um, and I think we talk about that familiarity, that consistency, that continuity. Well, I think for Nikhil Alexander Walker, he has a baseline. He knows that on this team, at my foundation, my baseline on this team is to do what I did in the playoffs last year. You know, play hell of five defense when I get a chance and get in the game. Uh, if there's injuries at the two or the three spot, I can play some backup one. But my job is to be a ferocious on-ball defender and also be ferocious chasing somebody through screens. Um, and I think he set some good examples for Jaden McDaniel as well um, in terms of being able to defend without fouling and still be effective, even though he's a little bit smaller. And so I think just, you know, that made sense. Um, but then they brought in a couple guys, um, Shake Milton, who they signed as a free agent um, away from the 76ers and Troy Brown Jr., who uh, I believe he started his career with the Washington Wizards and then uh, was with the Los Angeles Lakers last year. And now he is uh, uh, on the roster with the Wolves as a free agent. Um I want to talk about Troy Brown Jr. first. Um, kind of a big body wing in that six five, six six ish mold. Um, I think he measured like six five and a half or something like that without shoes. So, you know, as a player, that means you're a legit six six. Um and a shooter, um, you know, 38, 39% from the three point nine, uh, kind of made his reputation as a corner shooter. I believe he shot 40% from the corners. Um, has some defensive chops. Again, big body, mobile. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be quite the shooter that Torian Prince was. Um, you know, Torian Prince was streaky. I think Troy Brown Jr. is streaky, but I'll also say this, that aside from the elite, elite, elite shooters, the Steph Currys, the Seth Currys, the, you know, the, the, um, the uh, Luke Canards, um, most shooters, most guys that make a living shooting three-point shots are streaky. Um, you know, maybe not from game to game, 
but they're going to go through two, three week stretches where the bucket looks like an ocean. And then they're going to go through two week stretches where they're just fighting their shot. And that's the nature of a shooter. And those of you who have not played high level basketball, you know, and you say, well, that guy's a bum. He hasn't made a shot in two weeks, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, they go three weeks without missing a shot. I remember when Malik Beasley, the first half of the season, his last year with the Wolves, he couldn't buy a bucket. And I remember saying on Twitter, boy, people are going to have a real different opinion of him if he gets hot after the All-Star break. And sure enough, <laughs> after the All-Star break, that dude was a flamethrower for two and a half, three months. And all of a sudden, everybody forgot the fact that he was shooting like 25% in the first part of the season. So that's kind of the nature of a shooter. Do you have any uh, uh, familiarity with Troy Brown Jr. last? Um, no, more familiar with uh, Shake Milton. Shake Milton? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, so Troy Brown, I think, is going to be a good addition because, one, I, I see what Tim Connolly's doing, and I said it in the previous pod. He is compiling as many quality desirable NBA players at every position possible up and down the roster and on the, on the uh, G league team that he possibly can. And Troy Brown jr. To me fits that mold. He's a guy that another team would want in a trade, especially a team that might be looking for a big body wing defense and shoot. He's a player that if he has a hot season shooting the ball, 39, 40% from three, um, he can guard three positions. You know, I can see him guarding twos, threes, and small fours. He's a ball mover. He's not the type of person that's going to sit on the ball and do a lot of dribbling. You know, outside of Ant and Cat, I think if Chris Fitch had his way, everybody would have the ball in and out of their hands in less than a second, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's decisions would look like Nas Reed's. I'm either shooting, driving, or passing, but it's going to happen immediately, mm-hmm. right? Brown's one of those guys. Um, So I think he's a really solid addition because, you know, guys get hurt. Guys need rest throughout the season. Uh, You get a big lead in a game and you want to be able to go to guys seven, eight, nine in the bench and, and they hold the lead or extend the lead, you know, and that means the quality of those players um, are going to determine whether or not you can keep leads. And we've watched the Wolves blow how many leads over the last couple of years. You know, if you get a 15, 20 point lead and you go to Troy Brown, the other team cuts the lead down to 10 and all of a sudden he is back to back threes and other teams calling a timeout. You know, that's, that's how basketball goes. So I think he's going to be a really solid piece and he's young. So this is the other thing, you know, Tim Connolly's doing. Troy Brown, I believe is 24 somewhere in there. So, you know, another young guy that, you know, however things shake out, there's insurance because, you know, Ants real close to being the entire franchise. It's right. Him and Jaden. So if you can surround him with the right fit of 24 year olds now, two years from now, when Ants a whole whopping ripe age of 23 (laughs) and a, and a grizzled vet of, you know, years. Man, his his five years is is really going through like 15, the way he's moving, man. Everything that's going on around him, um, you know, the responsibility he's been given, man, five years for him, he's going to have a 15-year plus the USA with Steve Kerr, a bunch of dudes talented around him. Um, I think think one of the biggest things also with running it back, um, when when Rudy first got here last year, I was watching Ant's demeanor. Um, 
even after, you know, other team calls timeout or Timberwolves call timeout mm-hmm. and just the interactions between him and Rudy. Um, it took him, from what I could see, it took him, man, almost half the time that Rudy was here before the playoffs, before he was even open to, like, building a relationship with Rudy because he had to change his game completely. He was dealing with someone who he was like, you know, I, I'm going to use myself as an example. When I was playing with Gino, um, Gino Crandall, and he would be making plays and, and, and dishing me the ball, and he would have such high expectations um, for, for what I was supposed to do with the ball when I got it. And I saw that in Ant when it came to Rudy. He's like, man, you're so big. You're like, you're supposed to be dunking on people. You're supposed to be physical. You, and you're just not none of these things. And so I saw Ant, and it just seemed like he never, like he was not able to buy into the Rudy situation. Um, and then I think, you know, as he grew and realized, okay, this is what it's going to be, I think he was a little more open to it. And by the end of the year, um, I think that they had some type of chemistry built. Um, but Ant working with Rudy and, and being open to that is going to take his game to a whole nother level. And I think a whole offseason of that um, is going to be huge for Ant too, like you were saying, just finding those ways to unlock his, his next level when it comes to playing team basketball. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, maybe we'll have to, we'll have to revisit that concept as we go into training camp next year. Cause I do have some thoughts on that that would steer us off track. But that is, you, you bring up some really good points. Um, and I would even say that youth, AAU culture, a lot of those things play a role in that because young guards definitely, I think, have a perception of what a quote unquote dominant big is supposed to be and look like. And if you've been playing with top AAU programs and you've been playing with those bigs and you've been playing against other kids that uh, are on that level, right, then you expect your big to dominate the way that, you know, your AAU center was dominating, right? And it's not quite like that in the league. So we'll come back to that um, later as we get closer to training camp and we talk about those relationships and how maybe they have been forged over the summer and tested in the fires of the playoffs against the now defending champions, right? Uh, to, to add on, to add on to, um, I know you, you were talking about the additions and um, Nah and and Milton and Troy Brown, and it seems like they went out and bun- got a bunch of guys that we're going to kind of rotate each one of you guys in and give one of you give you each an opportunity to see how you can fit with this team and in your role at the beginning of the year because um, they're all quality players. None of them are really. Um, ISO type of guys so you know they they have their starting five they have their top seven eight rotation and now they've got a couple pieces where okay we'll see where you fit in where you get in um, and you know a couple of them might just might not play um, but that one that, that, that makes it into the rotation is going to be a quality ball player well I think I think that's a good segue because I think the one that you're definitely going to see in the rotation is the one we're going to talk about next which is Shake Newton. Um, Shake Milton's a bucket, you know, and he's he has been when given the opportunity every bit the bucket that Noel has been inconsistently. Right. Um, And so, you know, I think I think there's no question that if Jalen Noel had the type of season that I think the organization, the franchise and us as, as, as people who watch and follow the Wolves was hoping he was going to have even, you know, I even predicted that he was going to have, um, I don't know that Shake Milton would be here, 
but I think it's very clear that that guy who can come in and be that combo guard off the bench that can run the offense from the one, but also go get his from the two um, and really be hyper-focused on coming in and making things happen. Um, I think that's a, a player that Chris Finch covets uh, coming off of his bench. And I think Jalen Noel was given every opportunity to be that guy. Um, you know, my thoughts and feelings on Noel, the one thing I always was worried about with him is that he tended to go through extended slumps, which speaks to a psychological profile more than a skill thing where he just can't get out of his own way and things start to snowball. Shake Milton's bigger than Jalen Noel. He, in my opinion, is a better offensive player. He's a more consistent, I think, offensive player than Jalen Noel. I think he's a better playmaker than Jalen Noel. I think he's a better defender than Jalen Noel, which is not saying a whole lot. Um, but every little bit of forward progress helps. And there were times where Jalen Noel absolutely killed that team last year defensively, let alone with shot selection and other mistakes that he was making when he was struggling. Uh, And I think Shake Milton is going to be one of those pickups that if the Wolves have a top four C type of season, we're going to look back and be like, Shake Milton made the type of impact for the Wolves that a Bruce Brown made for Denver. I've always been a fan of Shake Milton. Every time it feels like every time he was playing against the Wolves, he killed him. It seemed like I know everybody likes a fancy nickname, but it seemed like every time I was watching Sports Center, you know, and there and there was some Philadelphia 76ers highlights, you get a heavy dose of Embiid. But if Harden wasn't playing, it would be Embiid and Shake Milton highlights, you know, um, a lot of them. And, and then, of course, uh, um, the guard whose name is escaping me because I'm focusing on Shake Milton. Oh, that's that's uh, up exactly. in Maxie, thank you. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of that pickup to get, to get him for the money they got him for. Um, I think that's going to be one of those under the radar moves because if you're not familiar with Shake Milton's game, that dude got buckets. He got, he's got a bag and it's deep. You know, have you got a chance to watch him play much? Um, highlights. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's, but that's saying something in and of itself. There. Shake out there. Yeah, no, he's 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 a player. Um, he's definitely one of the ones I was excited to see. And um, on top of what Leonard Miller's been doing, um, he's he, I know he's raw and he's he's young and but man, he Jero Vanderbilt is what he reminds me of in a sense, but much more um, touch and and offensive firepower. Yeah, we're gonna get into the summer league players. Um, next here, um, one, one of the other things I want to say about Shake Milton is again, the profile, he's big for his position. He has positional size. And if you recall, you know, two seasons ago when they had the Pat Bev, Jared Vanderbilt, um, you know, Malik Beasley crew, and we talked about how they were just giving up size at every position, right? And, and they had to fly around. Because, you know, they were they were small at every single position. Because if you remember, D'Lo was essentially playing the two, you know. So they were small at the one with Pat Bev. You know, you know don't tell Pat Bev he's small. <laughs> no, they, they were small at the two with D'Lo. They were small at the three with Ant, relative, shorter at the three with Ant, relatively speaking. You know, and then Vando was a small four, you know, relatively speaking. And then Cat was a, is a small five. You know, cats, I've always said cats a tweener, right? 
And so now you look two seasons later, and with the exception of Mike Connolly, who's, you know, legit 6'2-ish, they're big everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, Ed's big for a two guard. Jaden's big for a three. You know, Cat's big for a four. Rudy's one of the larger centers in the league. And then you come off the bench with Kyle, who's, if you're going to say he's going to play one or three this year, whichever whichever way he goes, if he comes in at three or comes in at one, you're still big. If Shake, if, if you sub Kyle for Jaden and and Shake for Conley, you've just gotten bigger at your one and your three, right? From an already big team. Troy Brown Jr. is a big two-guard, small forward, you know, type player. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a legit 6'5", you know, who plays one and two, right? So now all of a sudden you went from a team that seemed to be one of the smaller teams in the league. Of course, Nas Reed, you know, if he's playing four, he's big. He's undersized at the five. But, you know, you look at a team that went from giving up positional size across the board to now a team that has winning the positional size battle across the board. You know, so really they have no excuse to not rebound and to be as bad rebounding as they've been. You know, that's got to change because you can't be that big and not rebound. You know? Right. And they got better at that towards the end of the year. And that, you know, yeah. they're a very young team, man. And rebounding is one of them things where if you, if, if you got the motor for it, you're going to do it no matter what. But if you don't got the motor for rebounding, you, you kind of force yourself to get in there. Um, and they, yeah. they're young and they haven't really, again, coming out of college, a lot of them dudes didn't have to rebound the ball that much. They were, they, they were used for other things. Right. Or rebounding was as easy in the case of like cat. Right. You no, know, like you just you anywhere the Willie Cauley Stein. So it's like Kentucky powered over everybody. Right. Um uh so so yeah, so that's kind of the whole run it back plus some additions that I think make the team better. I remember last year when we started this podcast with Juice and I, we talked about how last year's team might have been the deepest Timberwolves team that they've ever had. And I'd say they're even deeper this year. Um but I also would say that the NBA as a league is Deeper in terms of skill and athleticism, but shallower, in my opinion, in terms of teams that have a lot of guys that actually know how to win at professional basketball, right? So, yeah, you got more guys that can do crazy dribble drives and make really tough shots and 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 create their own shot maybe more than ever before. But that doesn't always equate to winning, right? And so I think the basketball IQ pool league-wide in terms of knowing how to win is shallower, even if the skill and athleticism is deeper. And I think that's where that continuity piece really plays a role. And I think you saw that evidence in Denver and Miami last year where the teams that had the continuity, that had the IQ, that had that 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 glue, um, that really understood how to win were the teams that were standing at the end and also had help, right? Because there's some other teams that had that, but they weren't healthy. Um, let's move on to Summer League, man. Uh, yeah, we got to get a lot of catching up to do because we don't do our podcast twice a week or weekly, you know, so we got some catching up to do. And Summer League, let's be honest, we're just going to cut to the chase. Summer League has all been all about Leonard Miller, Josh Minot, a little bit of window more. Junior, when he did play the one game, and and this guard Brandon Williams out of Arizona has been impressive. Of course, 
Um, Jalen Clark is not playing this year. Hopefully he'll be out there next summer league. And, um, you know, let, let's, you, you touched on it. So let's go there first. Leonard Miller, man, that the, the 33rd overall pick in the, in the, in the draft, second round pick, uh, who I liked when I learned about him. Uh, I talked about the way he moves his feet to the ball, whether it's a rebound, whether it's to go set a ball screen, whether it's to come to a pass, whether it's to cut. He's super active. Um, he's long. He seems strong for 19. I mean, he really, it, whether he's physically strong or functionally strong because he spent a whole season playing with grown men in the G League. Either way, he's figured out how to mentally be strong enough to uh, execute uh, what he needs to execute. And he's been impressive, man. He has been. I agree. Um, he seems to play very mature. Um, yeah. For, for coming into the league. Yes. At his age, um, he just that. The, he seems to not force. He seems like, you know, watching Jared Vanderbilt, it was kind of just all over the place, and you didn't really know what was coming next. Um, but he has that same motor as Jared Vanderbilt, but he seems to have more control over it. Um, yeah, seems like he takes better shots. He knows when to shoot. He he's you know active on the glass. He he's he's doing everything you would want for someone coming in out of the draft in the second round at his size. Um, it, it's pretty much come in confident and, and mature and and seems to already have kind of found his fit with the team that he's on and how he can help produce um, without doing too much. So from what I've seen, I'm I'm excited for him, and um, I think he's going to get his opportunity, and it's good to have him in a Wolves uniform. He does not look like – he does not play with the demeanor of a 19-year-old. Right. He has a very composed demeanor on the floor. Um, he's open a lot. I mean, it's summer league and guys all have their own agendas. But if you just watch him move off the ball and watch his timing on his cuts, his timing on his roll, like they could probably feed him for an opportunity almost every time down the floor, the way he finds his way to open spaces, um, which is that's the IQ thing, right? That's that maturity and that basketball IQ that you're speaking of. And, you know, I was I was thinking of the last podcast and, you know, as as a black male, one of the things I hated was when people talked about being me being articulate or me being well spoken. And I listened back and I pulled that card on Leonard Miller and I was like, oh, I hate when people (laughs) know horrible. But I understood my context. I was like, I don't know if that context translates to a listening audience. But what I was trying to say is. For 19, he speaks really mature and composed and calm um, and, and and is very cerebral about how he um, explains whether he's talking about basketball or himself. And I was just really impressed with that. And it wasn't like I didn't mean that to be like a character indictment. But you as a player and as a coach, you can have a conversation with somebody and you can kind of get a sense of, what their on-court demeanor is going to be like, right? And you just got a sense from listening to him that his on-court demeanor was going to be really composed and really um, mature and cerebral. And from the opening moments of the first summer league game that I watched him and every moment I've seen him play since, it's been even above and beyond kind of that composure that that I thought he was that I expected him to have I've been surprised with his offensive package 
Um, he's made a couple plays out of the mid post, a couple of post ups and shots out of the mid post where I went, Oh, Oh, okay. Wait a minute. That's right there. Like he made that look very comfortable. Like he'd been doing that to people for a little while. I said, Oh, that's, that's a little bit more than, you know, that's some stuff you won't ever see out of Jared Vanderbilt, right? Exactly. And, and so the one leg step back that he hit last game and then in the first half, I think in one of his first uh his first rip in the game today, oh man, he made a beautiful no look dime for a dunk. Turned down the three pump fake, kind of worked his way into the lane, stayed facing the perimeter, made it look like he was going to kick out to a three point shooter and dropped a little dropped off a little no look dime to the post for a dunk. Then he came down and he called for the ball in the mid post at around twelve feet and just kind of turned smooth and quick shot the defender who was a smaller defender and it's like. That's what people don't like. You have to play to understand that this 19 year old was like, okay, mouse in the house, but I'm comfortable everywhere. So I'm not going to spend my time fighting him. I'm not going to go too deep and let a double team come. I'm going to put him right here and I can turn and shoot over him whenever I want. And and he just did it. So, so casually, I was like, Oh, Oh, so that's what 19 looked like. Mm, It's going to be nice. (laughs) <laughs> he going, he's definitely I, I could see him being a problem in the league um you know with his size and then the fact that you know he's doing all that that you're talking about but then he's also knocking down threes right he's yeah he's, he's yeah. comfortable taking them and he's making them he's not you know i think the last game he went one for four from three which is which was his worst percentage but he went he went four, two for four yeah okay and i think 50 percent is the worst he shot for the whole summer league from three. I haven't watched the whole Atlanta game. I've only watched half of today's game, so I don't know what he shot today. But um, but yeah. I, I checked the stats. But regardless, what I'm saying is he he's very capable of doing all things, and he doesn't he takes the right shot. Right? He I'm I'm watching him, and he's turning down threes like you said. Um, but then when they're open or they're slightly contested, he has no problem taking them. So I I'm excited for a Leonard Miller. Yeah, he's a lot more polished than I expected, you know, and I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts and, you know, the book is still, he's really raw. He's really raw. He's really raw. Um, and yes, he's 19. I mean, everybody's really raw for them outside of LeBron at 19, right? Um, but he is much more polished than I anticipated him being. And, and so, you know, it's just a matter of time before we're listening to other podcasts and, they stop talking about how raw he is and somebody's going to say, oh, he's a little bit more further along than we expect than we at first thought he was going to be. But I'm calling it right now. I don't think he's going to make minutes with the big club um, that are garbage time. I don't see him playing a role this season because, for one, where, where's he going to play? Like, unless unless the season totally goes downhill, um, and unless they trade Cat, which would mean the season totally went downhill, or unless there's another catastrophic injury or two, uh, I don't see him getting minutes with the big club outside of some garbage time this year. Um, but, you know, I initially thought he was maybe three years away. Um, I, it would not surprise me to see him in a rotation next year if what he's showing so far um, is consistent as he, I mean, we know it's going to be consistent in the G League, right? So that's one of the things that will be interesting to see what they do. You know, because we know he's going to he's comfortable in the G League. He's already been there, done that. Right. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see how much time he spends in Iowa and how much they keep him around the big club 
doing shoot arounds with the big club, practicing with the big club, um, having him go against Cat and Rudy and Jaden and Nas and them, as opposed to sending him back down to the G League where we know what he's capable of already. So that'll be interesting to kind of follow throughout the season. But uh let me let me say this real quick, just sorry. we have it on record. Um I see if if he if they keep him around and mm-hmm. I have a feeling that the way he's playing in the G League is just the way he is. And it don't matter who he's playing against, who he's with, that boy's very comfortable, very confident in what he's doing. Um and I think given the opportunity, I see him going up against Cat and Rudy and, and Nas and really almost making himself become a part. And I know we have a lot of bigs, so it's going to be hard to find those minutes, like you said. Um, but I would say that's the only reason he's not going to get minutes this year. That's just because they have all this money into other dudes. Um, but once once they open up one of those big spots, I see him. I see him walking right through the door. Oh, well, definitely if they were like Houston last year, a young rebuilding team, you know, he definitely would be getting minutes with the big club. Um, there's no question about that. I just, I also think for what they have at stake this year, 19 year olds are going to make 19 year old mistakes and they just don't have the, um, they don't have the, um, the room for air to let him play through mistake. Right. You know, and so, um, that, that's, the biggest thing is I just think that there are things at the, at the NBA level, um, you know, cause this is just summer league and the G league is the G league, you know, but when you get to the NBA level and you're a team that is competing for something, you just can't afford to have guys out there learning through rookie mistakes, um, that are, you know, like an ant type right. player. Yeah. Um, let's, I know, I know, uh, I want to try to get through everything. So let's, uh, let's touch on Josh Minot. Quickly, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to say that although many, you know, I've listened to Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves. I've listened to Dane Moore with the Dane Moore NBA podcast. I've even listened to Johnny Krasinski with the Johnny Krasinski. So I've listened to Flagrant Howells. Um, all of the, the media types seem to be really high on Josh Minot. Um, and yeah, he's put up a couple twenty point games this summer league. I'm not as high on Josh Minot as everybody else. Um I feel like what he does, I feel like there's some 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 glaring things that um give me some red flags. Um finishing in traffic, um touch at the rim. Um, too many, too many shots at the rim that just look wild. And that to me is a red flag. Um, you know, can he do some things? Yeah. He's super athletic. Um, get out and run the floor, um, create havoc defensive to me, to me, Josh might not give me more of a Jared Vanderbilt profile than Leonard Miller. Um, the, the profile that I had for Leonard Miller was a left-handed, not nearly on the level yet. So let me preface this by saying that, but I see a left-handed Bam Adebayo type in Leonard Miller. Uh, you know, a, somebody who's really a four that can play five because he's long enough, but he can play out high. He can set the screens for you. He can roll. He can short pocket for you. 
He can take his guy off the dribble if you put a big on him and get to the basket. Like to me, I see Leonard Miller's profile being more like um, a Bam out of Bayou, a lefty Bam out of Bayou with a three-point shot going forward. Josh Minot gives me more Jared Vanderbilt vibe. Like he's going to run the hell out of the floor. He's going to go for a bunch of rebounds. He's going to play with a whole bunch of energy. He's going to try to dunk it every chance he gets. But he's also going to make some plays where you go, that was wild. Like, you know, that was a little OC, right? And to me, that's what he's shown in summer league. Like he had, he scored 20 points the first two games, but I don't think he made a three point shot. I didn't even really see any mid range jump shots. It's all kind of rebound, put back, curl cut, drive, train, you know, trend, block shot, transition. It's all of those type of points, which you don't generally get 20 points a game of those at the NBA level. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but, you know, I'm going against the grain here. From what I've seen of Josh Minot in the first two years, to me, he still feels like he's in, he, to me, he feels further away than Leonard Miller when I watched the two of them play. Um, and so, you know, and that, and again, I'm looking at it from a coach's lens. And even the first half today in the Atlanta game, Josh Minot had a couple drives and, you know, flicked up some finger rolls that just bounced off the backboard, didn't even hit the rim. Of course, Leonard Miller was there to clean it up. But, (laughs) but, you know, stuff like that gives me pause, you know, gives me cause for pause because it's just not fluid. It's not clean. It doesn't show touch. It doesn't show that he's actually getting the shot he wants. It shows that he's getting the shot that he can get. And whereas when I watch Leonard Miller more often than not, I see a guy who's always in control of his body and getting the shot that he wants. Yeah, and I, I I could be wrong here, but I don't. When I think of the Wolves' top eight, top nine, I don't think of Josh Minot. So, unless injuries occur, I don't really think right. he's going to get an opportunity to go and play like that anyway. So, um, and it's like, who's he going to? I what he's supposed to be doing in the G League for his second year. Right, right. And it's like, who's he going to outplay? He's not going to take Jaden's minutes. He's not going to take Kyle Anderson's minutes. So Kyle Anderson is going to pretty much be the de facto backup three slash one. Right. You know, now with Nikhil Evander Walker back, that's, you know, that's right. kind of, my defender. So, right. And, and, and to me, Nikhil Alexander Walker does things, a number of things better than, than mine, not even though he's a little small. So, you know, he's going to have to show to me more than he's shown. Um, in order to to get minutes, you know, non-garbage time minutes with the big club. Um, but, again, he's a player that, one, I can see somebody being interested in a trade because he's got elite athleticism and defensive, uh, you know, at, when you can be 6'8 and play on the ball, you know, and guard point guards coming up to court, you know, that's, that's saying something. Uh, you know, so we'll see because he's one of those players that even if there's not a place for him on the Wolves long term, He's an NBA player. He's not a player you let go. He's a player that somebody's got to pony up something for in a trade, you know, as part of something else. Um, briefly, Wendell Moore Jr., um, he only played the one game, and he's another one that I want him to be Mario Chalmers so bad, and he looks so bad in that one game except for crunch time. And then come crunch time, he makes – Two big threes. I think he gets another bucket. He, you know, the the fourth quarter offense in the first summer league game and the fourth quarter defense was the separator in that first summer league game. And it was really Wendell Moore Jr. 
showing that when he's good, this is how he impacts winning. Right. And they blew him out in that fourth quarter because Wendell Moore Jr. was really good. Leonard Miller was doing his thing. Josh Minot was doing his thing. But it, and, you know, and, and, and Brandon Williams, who we'll talk about in a second, had a great fourth quarter. But I feel like it was Wendell Moore Jr.'s presence on the court that allowed everybody else to stay in their lane. And as you very well know, sometimes it's the guard that, you know, they're not doing much that you see. From the untrained eye, but everybody else is better when they're on the floor, you know, and and, you know, and, but the difference also is Wendell Moore Jr. I think he had two big three pointers down the stretch of that win. And this always going to be the thing on him. Can you shoot threes at a 38 to 40 percent clip? If he can do that, he's got a spot in the NBA. If he can't do that, he doesn't give you anything because he's not going to win in ISO. He's not even really great coming off the screen and roll game, getting into the paint, um, you know, but he just gets your offense organized and he's a great point of attack defender um, at his size at the point guard spot. So I don't know. What I do know is he hasn't played the last two games and I'm going to assume they lost today. I don't know. I haven't seen the outcome, but I know they were down 10 and half and they lost on Monday. And so it's kind of like, you know, on one hand, it doesn't seem like Wendell Moore Jr. I mean, he had a bad shooting game. He was like five for 18, but I think like three of those five were in the fourth quarter, right? And that's when they pulled away and won. And it's kind of like, you know, I wish he was still playing because I'd like to see more of that. You know, I'd like to see is his presence alone in the way that he plays, is that making the difference? Because they're one and all with him. And they're, you know, you know, I, I don't know what the outcome today was, but I know they lost on Monday without him. They uh, lost today. Yeah, and they lost today without him. Um, and it does seem like things are more fluid when he's on the floor, even if he's not doing well. Right. Um, so that's an interesting. I, I don't know what more to say, you know, other than I'm rooting for him. I'm not a big fan, but as a coach, I see what the coaches see in him. Because sometimes, you know, he's like a glue guy, you know, from the point guard spot that can also slide off the ball and be the two because he's, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so. I think, though, at, at, at the end of the day, I, I don't really see any of these dudes in the G League. Like, the Wolves, the Wolves brought back the roster of players yeah. that they expect yeah. to play, and these guys are just going to have to wait their time because the yep. Wolves are experimenting right now, and they're putting all their eggs in this basket at yep. the moment. And they just gonna have to learn and and be there for practice and be ready if someone gets hurt. Yep, I I agree. And, and again, it goes back to what I've been saying all along. Tim Connolly is compiling as many high quality NBA basketball players as he can, and therefore you have flexibility. I mean, for all the talk about Cat and Rudy and the two bigs and yada yada yada, I have maintained all along. If the worst case scenario is you have to trade an all NBA big, you're going to get value in return. It's kind of like being at the poker table. If you're, you are at the blackjack table. If you, if you playing five dollars, you know, if you playing five dollar hand, you know, if you at the five dollar table and you playing five dollars at a time, you can only win five dollars at a time. But if you sitting at the high stakes and you playing, you know, five thousand dollars a hand, then when you win, 
you didn't just won. You know, you hit blackjack. You just don't want seventy five hundred dollars, right? So no, there's a lot. Wolves got a lot of trade value in in him and just in general, like you were saying. You know, and if they do need to put a package together, they've got those assets that people okay. You know, the Wolves. This guy hasn't got that playing time in the yeah. in the games, but we understand why, and now we're willing to kind of take a chance on him um, for teams that you know maybe aren't as competitive um and need a couple of those guys so they're the wolves have a are deep they definitely have plenty of talent plenty of size um it all is going to come down to the chemistry and whether or not these guys can figure out how to play together and still sharper steel so you know the Wendell moores and the josh minots the leonard millers they can't help but get better if they're going up against you know cat and rudy and you know and Connolly and ant and you know, those guys in practice and, and summer workouts. So I get at the end of the day, you know, if you're a professional, your job is to hold one of your very precious and valuable spots in the league that is the National Basketball Association. It's about getting paid to play ball. And when you're on the fringe, you have to get better every day because somebody wants your spot. And that's just the cutthroat reality of, of professional sports. And that's, that's, that's where I was seeking Leonard Miller, like I said, being a problem for Cat and Nas. And I think that he is going to give them fits and he's going to be one of them dudes in practice where you're just like, man, you just don't stop, do you? Man, right? And giving them buckets <laughs> from everywhere. Yep. Um, uh, Brandon Williams, uh, is, uh, a player that they put on. He's one, he, uh, he's from Arizona. Um, uh, a combo guard, and I say combo guard, really he's a tweener guard. He's a point guard size with a two guard game. Um, and he's looked really good in on this summer league roster. Um, and you know, they do have that two way spot available. And it would not surprise me at all if this continues for another four or five summer league games. If Brandon Williams doesn't get that two way spot especially on a team that if there is a position that they're shadow at, it's, you know, the point guard spot. Um, and so um, that's the name I, you know, and, and I'm not breaking news here. Uh, he's been, he's, his name has been mentioned everywhere um, in the Wolves universe um, this summer league because he'd been balling. Uh, so, so keep that name. Keep keep an eye out for that name for maybe that final two way spot. Um, before we close here, a couple things. Um, Chris Finch was recently on Dane Moore's uh, NBA podcast with Dane, um, and I bring that up because um, for our listeners, um, if you are new to our podcast. I encourage you to go listen to Dane's uh, podcast with Chris Finch and then come back and listen to our uh, podcast. I think it's the June June 15th one or something like that. The title of it is uh, Styles Make Fits um, in parentheses or Styles Make Fights and in parentheses fits. And um Chris Finch says a couple of things that I've been talking about for a while from, you know, and, and, and it's always nice because like I said, the, the, the angle of this podcast is I, I watch the game and talk from a coach's perspective. And so whenever Chris Finch is public, whether it's a press conference or whether it's an interview, I really listen in and try to see, you know, where um, I'm at in terms of what I see or what I think, um, and what I say on our pod and what Chris Finch 
is saying um, because he's the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, right? And um, and Finch mentioned a couple of things that I kind of went, aha, right? Aha. And one of them was the continuity piece that we've been talking about for the longest time and kind of the impetus behind running it back. Um, and, and he said, um, and I'll paraphrase, but he said, you know, if you can, um, have a 7% advantage, um, because you have continuity over the course of the first 25 games, you know, in a, um, in, in a, in a conference is stacked as closely together as they are in the West, that could be huge. Right. And, and, and if you can get off to a, if you can get off to a, you know, 19 and, and six start, you know, or you can get off to a, a you know, a, a 17 and eight start, you know, because you have that continuity, you know, that's a good head start, you know, like, you know, nine games over 500 would have had the Timberwolves in the what three seed last year. So, you know, so that's, that's really, really important. Um, he also talked about what you talked about earlier last was the spacing between you know developing that spacing between uh Rudy and Cat um and 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 Ant and how all of them you know work and fit together so Ant has the space and opportunity to do his thing and Rudy and Cat have you know proper spacing he talked about maybe having to call a few more sets or put them in more set positions you know he talked about when you call a play it's kind of easier to create that spacing because everybody has a specific place they're supposed to go to. So we talked about maybe having to do that a little bit more, but you know, these are things that we've been talking about on this podcast for a while is that, that continuity and that chemistry developing. Um, and the other thing he talked about was something I talked about on the last podcast was Ant, and, you know, he talked about Ant being here more this summer and understanding that the way, that he's going to learn how to manipulate defenses and read defenses and get the training that he needs to take that next step from a cerebral standpoint is to be in Minnesota working out with the, with his teammates and working out with the coaches and the coaching staff here and being very intentional about improving those things. And, you know, we talked last podcast about, well, how do they unlock Ant? And I said, it's on Ant to unlock Ant. And so to hear that was really promising because it sounds like that's exactly what the coaching staff is saying. And it sounds like that's what Ant is knowing that he has to do. And really, this is all about Ant learning how to play five or five basketball, not mm-hmm. just, you know, get a ball to Ant and everybody get the hell out the way, you know, but really understanding that you can only do that so often in the NBA because when you're his caliber, they're going to scheme for you. They're going to game plan for you. They're going to try to find the things that you struggle with. And the more you can master everything, uh, the more difficult you are to guard. So um, if you get a chance, Lance, uh, check that out. Check out Dane Moore's uh, podcast. Listeners, check out Dane Moore's podcast. The Chris uh, Finch interview is a good one. But then also when you do that, go back to our June 15th episode. Keep in mind what you heard Chris Finch talk about and listen to our June 15th episode. And I think it'll give you some context as to why I feel like uh, we do something a little bit unique here by coming from a coach's and player's perspective. And I, I definitely want to second that. Um, I think I said it last time I was in here, but um, anytime I'm around your team, that whatever team you're coaching, I always try to emphasize um, to the players, you know, what 
that they have something special as you being their coach just because of the mindset that you have for the game. Um, there's definitely a lot of things that you say. Um, we talk, <laughs> we talk about it. How you'll be watching the Timberwolves game and then you'll say something. And then 10 seconds later, the announcers say the exact same thing that you just said. Um, so you definitely have the mind, um, the coaching mind, not just a coaching mind, but a phenomenal one at that. Um, and I've expressed to you and, um, to the listeners too, you know, your goal is to coach ba- basketball at a higher level, um, when the opportunity presents itself and whatever team is, uh, blessed enough to come across you, whatever group of guys is blessed enough to come across you, um, they're going to be, they're going to be a very special program, um, whenever you get involved in. Um, so I'm seconding that if you're listening to this, um, just to confirm these things that, you know, we're saying and that he's saying, go and listen to the Crispin podcast, actually do it. Well, the Dane Moore podcast. Yeah. Sorry. The, yep. With Crispin on there. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, you enjoy listening to basketball. That's a great way to, um, kind of have some trust and faith in what, um, Frank is talking about on his podcast and give you some more. Um, reason to listen because you'll notice that the things that he's saying are very much coming from a coach's mindset. Uh, mindset. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, enough about me. You got a chance to listen. <laughs> you got a chance to listen to the Anthony Edwards press conference. I did. I listened to that, and uh, it sounded like Anthony Edwards. Um, nothing about himself. Right. <laughs> it sounded like nothing about himself. Um kept his short sweet it seemed like he's also maturing in that sense um i think last year even you know more so two years ago um that conference would have probably went a lot different with some more jokes and some more um young mindedness but it seems like um he's growing and it seems like he's you know he always understands that his teammates you know he can't do it on his own and he doesn't glorify himself and he doesn't take the credit for really anything and those are the guys that are special uh, and he's, you know, it was it was a very normal Anthony Edwards press conference, and he didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, and I I agree. Um, I I do get the sense that he's very much aware of what's on his shoulders in terms of um, opportunity. Um, I, I think that he's very wise um, beyond his years. I think he's had a chance to take a look at what's going on with Zion. Williamson and taking a look at what's going on with John Morant. And I think he's probably feeling like, um, I, you know, if he wants to be the face of the league, I think he feels like that opportunity is there. Um, you know, he's going to have to contend with that big seven foot four guard down in San Antonio in the future here for kind of that, that title of face in the league as this young crop grows up. But, um, you know, I think he gets it. Um, one of the things he's, you know, he also did a, a sit down interview with, um, Michael Grady, the Timberwolves, uh, um, play by play announcer. And the, you know, when they asked him, you know, what, what's the season going to look, take for it to be successful? What's it going to look like? And I, you know, he said, you know, you, you know, Cats, uh, MVP and Rudy's all defense and Jaden's the best defender in the league and shooting 40% from the three point line and, and Michael Conley's playing young again. And, you know, he mentioned everybody and he just said, I'll just kind of do what I do, you know, right? Um, but I, I bring that up because, um, throughout the course of the stretches in between podcast recordings, I like to take notes. 
um, on things that come to mind. So I don't forget to talk about something or so, or if there's something that's really important to mention. Um, and you know, it, this also piggybacks off of the video that surfaced with Cat working out with Paul George and he was working on guard skills. I don't know if you had a chance to check that video out, but it's on Twitter and Cat's working on sidestep threes and he's working on, you know, I think he does a combo between the legs, has he um, back to back to between the legs again to a pull up from the elbow, you know, just working on guard skills, which I'm a big proponent of. I think if Cat's going to be out there, he's got to be able to change directions. My biggest knock on Cat on the perimeter is he goes one direction and he's going to bull his way to that direction. Offensive foul be damned. So, you know, um, so I think it's great that he was working on guard skills, but on my notes, what I, I wrote um, about a week and a half ago was um, the best case scenario for this team um, is, yeah, Cat should lean into being a big guard, so to speak, being a handler. Because the best case scenario for this team is all of them playing at their peak ability. If Cat's in all NBA form and Rudy's in all defensive form and Jaden um, picks up takes another step from where he was last year. And Mike Connolly is Mike Connolly, right? And Ant continues to take a step up and Nas takes another step, you know, um, um, that's the best case scenario is health and everybody being put in position by Chris Finch to be at their best. And if they're healthy and everybody's playing at their best, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I like their collection of talent against anybody else in the league's collection of talent when they're maximized. You know, that's Finch's job. How can I maximize Ant, Cat, Rudy, Connolly, you know, Jaden, Nas, you know, Shake Milton, you know, how can I maximize these guys on both ends of the floor so that they're all the best versions of themselves? But all things considered, if the Timberwolves are all the best versions of themselves, then you have three all-stars and two all-NBA players in your starting lineup. Yeah. I, yeah, they... I, you know, I also best, if they're the best version of themselves. Yep, I agree. You got... like We've all we've said before, the talent is there. Talent is 100% there. Um, and I I really believe that all these dudes understand what's at the, what's at stake right now, what's on the table, and I think they're all hungry. And I think I think they're gonna come out and be like some wolves. I think that <laughs> I think that they are. I'm excited for the season, and I, I I as a wolves fan, I don't always get excited for the season. Um. Man, it's, it's been hard to at times. <laughs> yeah, but with what what they have right now, the talent. I think Chris Finch is a. I think he's a very good coach, and I think that he's going to have an. This is his opportunity to show and shut everyone up who thinks he's not a good coach or 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 questions him, um, because the, you know, if the team puts it together and this team buys into one another, when you have the talent that they have, um, anything's possible. I don't think you will find very many people who actually know basketball that will say Chris French is a bad coach. And um, I think that um, he's really good for the NBA. I think he's really good for NBA personalities. Um, and that's, you know, 90% of the battle in the NBA is coaching personalities. 
you know, again, this is a team that made the playoffs last year and their best player missed 53 games. Yep. That says a lot, you know, for, for all the complaints and, you know, oh, by the way, being, being really led, being buoyed by a 21 year old and a 22 year old, yep. you know, like that 21 year olds and 22 year olds don't make the playoffs when they when they have the major role. You know, on offense and on defense. Like your major defender was twenty two and your major score was twenty one. Like the, those the Hornets you know. the Hornets were that team that was young and seemed like <laughs> were, that that people thought, okay, these dudes is these dudes is legit. And then halfway through the season when things started picking up, um, you know, I know I believe Lamelo got hurt and that didn't yeah, help. Did. Um, but you you know, you've seen that they started kind of to fall off, and and that's an example. The Rockets, I mean, most young teams, you know, the Wolves were young. We we've seen, you know, it's, it's not it's not easy to win as a young team, and nobody really does it. Um, so you know, the Wolves are they're young age wise, but I feel like experience wise, um, with Ant having to do everything he did last year, um, Cat obviously is now experienced, and hopefully he plays that way um, this year. Um, yeah. But th- they've got experience, and and Mike Conley, man, the way he came in last year and did what he did and just let loose, man, that that was that was totally unexpected. I, I knew he was solid, and but he was doing things, he was doing things that I did not imagine when he came in there. I expected that. I I I think I I knew exactly what Mike Conley was going to bring to the table. I've always been a fan of Mike Conley's game, though, so I've kind of followed him from afar. And I've always been a fan of his game, and I've always felt like he was underrated because he never did more than he had to do, but he could always do more than he was asked to do, right? He always had more. He al- He's always had more that he could give on every team he's been on, but he's always done what he's been asked to do. And so um, I expected him to come in and play well and create some order and create some, you know, some maturity in the backcourt. Um, you know, from that position, and and you know, I, I I agree with Ant's assessment, boy. If just being around Ant can give Mike Conley another year or two of youth, of feeling like I might be thirty six, boy, this dude make me feel twenty nine, boy. Uh-huh. You know, that would be, you know, if his body holds up, um, I think that would be great. And he's always been, you know, the type that stayed in shape. I mean, his dad was an Olympian, his mom, I believe, was an Olympian or a track star, you know. Um, so Mike Conley's, you know, his whole life has been about being an athlete, you know. So I think he's one of them guys that stays in shape. Um, well, our time is about up here, man. Um, I do want to say to the listeners that we will be back after Summer League. Uh, one of the things for people to watch Summer League for, I'll leave people with this note since I am a coach. Um there's watching summer league for the players, but more importantly to me, there's watching summer league for the system. Cause what you get in summer league is kind of what the Finch and the big club would like to be doing on offense. If you didn't have players that are so elite, they're just going to go rogue and do whatever they want to do when they want to do it. Right. And so if you watch, you know, like I was watching that first summer league game. And Leonard Miller is a perfect example, but the way he was constantly moving and screening, the way guys were constantly cutting off the ball, the way the ball was zipping around, flying around, that's how they want to play, right? Now, if you got Kyle Anthony Towns on the floor, the ball might zip to him and then stop. 
If you got Anthony Edwards on the floor, the ball might zip to him and then stop. And as a, you know, NBA coach, I'm sure you have to let those guys, that's the balance, right? Finding the balance between, okay, I want him to keep the ball moving, but him is Anthony Edwards. And so I'm going to have to trust and live with the decision that he makes if he stopped the ball. But, you know, for people who talk about Finch's offense and complain that the offense was bottom 10 last year, but don't want to add the caveat that, yeah, but, you know, it's not a bottom 10 offense if you replace Rudy Gobert with Carl Anthony Towns. But it's not a top 10 defense if you replace, you know, Rudy Gobert with Anthony Towns, right? So, but if you want to see how it's supposed to look, watch Summer League. That's going to tell you what it looks like when you have guys that are being ingrained into them. Like the way to make an impression is to figure out how to fit your game into the system, not figure out how the system fits into your game, which is what they often do, you know, at the NBA level. So, you know, for the listeners out there, when you're watching Summer League, it's nice to watch the individual players that you want to see what they can bring to the table, but also watch the system, you know, watch, watch the ball movement. See if they're calling plays or if they're just cutting and moving and really play, as Chris Finch likes to say, in flow. You know, and he got knocked for saying that until uh, Mike Malone and the Denver Nuggets, the defending champion Denver Nuggets, talked about his guys were so good at playing in flow because they had continuity. (laughs) So, um, you know, so watch the summer league games and, and, and evaluate the system. Watch how the defense works. Watch how the offense works. Watch what doesn't work because that's a good way to kind of evaluate what are the Timberwolves trying to do systemically um, all the way up the ladder um, in their program. So that's always a good reason to watch Summer League. Hopefully Wendell Moore gets back out there. I also am curious to see once the Summer League tournament starts, you know, once they've kind of got through these preliminary rounds and they're kind of playing for something. I'm curious to see once the intensity ratchets up even more, who shows up and who doesn't. So those are some other good reasons to watch Summer League. We'll be back um, probably next week um, with another pod. I'm going to see if I can corral a super producer into doing another one and not have so many gaps in between pods. Um, But, uh, yeah, you going to say something, Lance? I would say, say, let's do it. All right. Uh, Super producer said, let's do it. So that means you're going to get more coach in the culture, Um, Lance Gardner. Uh, yes, trees, uh, in the building. Uh, ho- hopefully he'll be coming back with us. We might have to do some last. We might have to have you on and another guest. I got, uh, I got a Gerard Hughes lined up. I got Anika Craven lined up. We're going to talk a little links, uh, with her and, and women's basketball. Uh, we're going to talk a little AAU season with Coach McMillan. I got to bring my head coach on. Um, I'm going to see if I can, uh, sneak, uh, Coach McKenzie on. So, so we, we, we got, we're lining it up, people. We're lining it up. But, uh, Lance Gardner, any parting shots for the people? No, I'm glad to do it again. Um, hopefully, like you said, I will be back, um, to do some more of this with you as, you know, as the summer prolongs and, uh, get ready for next year. Um, I'm, I watch almost every Wolf game. Um, so as the season is here, I would love to be around more often so we can kind of dissect these things. Um, but again, I highly recommend all the listeners to uh, come back and also check out that Chris Finch interview so you can make the connection between, um, you know, how how serious of a coaching mind um, Frank does have. Thank you, sir, man. I appreciate that. I just want to shout out, like I said, that interview was really good with Chris Finch and Dane Moore on Dane Moore's NBA podcast. I want to shout out CND, uh, the CND 
NBA podcast, uh, basketball podcast. I want to shout out Frank Flagrant House because I listen to all of these podcasts. I want to shout out Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves. I want to shout out Johnny Kazay with Johnny K with the Johnny Krasinski podcast. And I want to shout all of those podcasts out because those are podcasts I listen to regularly so that I can get information and also develop pers- uh, pers- uh, perceptions and perspectives on what other podcasts and, and Timberwolves media are talking about out there. Um, I don't read the articles with uh, Tyge, Kyle Tyge and Chris Hine and them because I don't support either of the local newspapers here for my own personal reasons, but I absolutely listen to them. Um, and I'm just trying to get in where we fit in with the coach and the culture and bring a different perspective about Timberwolves basketball and Minnesota basketball. But I also want to say that, you know, we all in these podcast networks together and hopefully collectively you listen to all of us and gather different sources of information. And then we, uh, and then we all become super fans come basketball season. So I'm coach Frank Centwally. Uh, we got the super producer Lloyd Leon Cooper. Uh, Lance Gardner was our guest today. Um, everybody get off of Carl Anthony Towns is back. I'm going to be talking big shit when he's healthy for a full season and putting up 24 and 10 with four or five dimes. And then everybody's riding cats and nuts talking about, oh, this is the cat we've been waiting for. He's not whining the officials no more. This is the cat we all been waiting for. No, don't jump on the bandwagon late. Only I can criticize Cat because I'm doing it constructively as a coach. Y'all don't know what y'all talking about. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> this is the Coach of the Culture podcast. Go Wolves. We'll holler at y'all in about a week or so.